Hello, lovely. It's Shauna Lee, and welcome back to the Soul Frequency Show podcast, where we're stepping into the light and raising our frequency together. Each week, we get to return to this sacred space to have conversations about the things we all experience in life, love, health, and career. A space where we, as spiritual beings, having this human experience can amplify our gifts and remember our truth. The title of this episode is Biofield Tuning. So on a complete side note, I learned the coolest thing. I could be the last person on the planet to have learned this, but I wanted to share it with you because when people share these things with me, I'm always so grateful. I'm like, oh, thank you. That's amazing. Like these, these little things we don't necessarily like look up online or we don't necessarily know. So you may have noticed recently that iTunes broke up all of their different genres. So now, you know, there's iTunes music and there's um, Apple podcasts and there's Apple TV and they all became separate apps. Um, which is really cool. So you can get your podcasts, you know, all in one place. And so sometimes I'm on calls with clients and there's a particular episode of the podcast that I feel will really help them. And so I might say like, oh, you should go listen to this episode because it's exactly about what we're talking about and it will expand on it. And so I always give them the title of the episode, but I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if I could just send them a link to that, right? And you may already know this, but I didn't. So if you listen to the show in Apple Podcasts, once you go to the episode, like let's say you're listening to the episode on, is it intuition or anxiety? On the bottom right corner, there are three dots. And if you push them, um, you have the option to share. There's a share button. And when you share, you can text it to somebody. Like it'll just come right up as an attachment in their text and send it to them. And that way they can just easily click on it and listen to it, which I thought was really cool. And now I'm using it all the time. So I'm passing on that cool little tip. Um, One of the things that I think is the best thing about podcasting is our ability to expand our mind and then share it with the people in our lives. And so, you know, if you love an episode and you want to share it, that's a quick and easy way to do it. I'm sharing things all the time now. (laughs) People are like, stop texting me. Um, But sometimes like when we just, you know, have you ever been in those conversations with a friend and you're like, I heard this really cool thing and you're describing it, but you know, like maybe you're not getting it quite right. Like they really just need to listen to this. I do this to my husband all the time. I'm like, you've got to listen to this interview or you've got to read this article because I'm basically telling him the gist of it. But like, he's looking at me like, I don't totally understand what you're saying, or I probably need to just go and read this or watch this myself. And so that's a helpful tip. Sharing is caring in this amazing and complex world that we live in. Um, So that's fun. So I discovered that this week. If you guys have cool discoveries, I would love to hear about them. You can message me on Instagram at the soul frequency or email them to me. Um, I'm just a big fan of all the little ways that we can make life easier and more simple. So anywho, we have an incredible episode today. I'm so thrilled to share this with you. And um, I came across this quote and I think about it often. I've known it for a while. Um, It's by Niels Bohr. It says, if quantum mechanics hasn't profoundly shocked you, you haven't understood it yet. 
And I wrote about Niels Bohr in my book, The Soul Frequency. He was a Danish physicist who made just incredible foundational contributions to understanding atomic structure and quantum theory. Um, he received a Nobel Prize in physics in 1922. Just a really fascinating person. His work's incredible. Uh, you can look it up and Google more about him if you're interested. And on this episode, we are talking about everything from cosmology. Um, if you don't know this word, we're going to dive into it and tell you more about it. We talk about the role of sound and rhythm in healing. Really incredible, fascinating stuff. Um, of course, we talk about emotions. In fact, my guest today is writing a book as we speak on emotions. If you have listened to this show for years, you know that this is a big cornerstone of what I talk about, um, emotional energy, the importance of understanding our emotions in the healing process. Um, so we dive into that. We talk about the fourth and fifth state of matter um, that we don't learn about in school, right? That is really unlocking a whole new level of consciousness. We talk about, gosh, what else do we talk about? The science of the light body. It's so good, you guys. If you love this information on energy and light and um, really next level healing, then this is going to be your jam. Um, my guest today is Eileen McCusick. She's a researcher, she's a writer, inventor, practitioner, educator, and she speaks about the effects of audible sound on the human body and our biofield. Our biofield is the energy, right, around our body. She has a master's in integrative education, and she's been researching since around 1996. She's the originator of biofield tuning with over 1,800 students that she's trained worldwide since 2010. She's also the founder of the Biofield Tuning Institute, which conducts grant-funded IRB-approved and peer-reviewed studies on the human biofield. And she's the author of the award-winning best-selling book, Tuning the Human Biofield, Healing with Vibrational Sound Therapy. She's also, like I said, writing a book, which I'm thrilled about, called Raise Your Voltage, which should come out, I believe, in next fall, maybe, 2021 in the fall. Um, she's also the inventor of the revolutionary and much-loved tool, the Sonic Slider. She's just a pioneer. She's a fascinating woman, um, incredible knowledge about therapeutic sound and electrical health. And so with no further ado, Eileen McCusick. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here today. Great. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So um, this is a personally exciting episode for me. I think that um, a lot of like what I was sharing with you before we even started here that you share about in your work um, and in your book, Tuning the Human Biofield, is very resonant for me, a lot of what I get intuitively. And I really appreciate the wide lens that you look through and all of the the science and the research that you've done in regards to the human biofield and energy and different you know healing modalities that we can approach and so before we jump into a lot of the details the the book has incredible detail in it which i deeply respect but let's go back to where this began for you and how you even started 
looking at the concept of discovering sound as a healing mechanism or modality? Sure. Well, you know, like a lot of healers, I think I went into the healing arts for myself, you know, in an interest of, uh, of healing my own body, mind, and spirit. And that journey actually started when I was 18. I had been bulimic. I became bulimic when I was 17. And when I was 18, I tried to stop and, and I couldn't. And, and so that kind of set me into this, this whole journey of, um, you know, who am I and how is it that I'm inwardly divided? You know, that I have one part of me that wants to be healthy. And then I have this other part of me that is, that I can't seem to control that is um, crazy, <laughs> it's just eating and throwing up and just being a, a hot mess. And how do I get a grip on myself? You know, how do I, how do I reel this in and get healthy? And that, that journey, you know, I'm 51 now. I, I've been studying health and well-being pretty much nonstop since I was 18. And that's really, um, you know, became a deeper dive, I guess, than, than I expected that it would because my research actually opened up this whole new frontier. Um, and, and it's just been a really fascinating journey. But I, um, I picked up the tuning forks first in 1996. I had a part-time massage therapy practice and I, I knew I did not want to be a massage therapist. You know, I was thinking about going to school to become a naturopath, but I didn't go to college right out of high school. And it just seemed like, I don't know, 12 years of school or something, you know, <laughs> to become a naturopath. So be becoming a massage therapist was a, a kind of quicker way into, um, you know, working with people and their well-being. Uh, so at the time, you know, in my, in my research journey, and I think any of your listeners who are researchers, you know, and you sound like the same sort of character that it's, it's really a rabbit hole, right? And one book leads to another, to another, to another. And, you know, we, we go on this journey of breadcrumbs really. And, and so that journey had led me to vibrational medicine, to the use of color and sound and music in healing. And I was, you know, reading at that point, everything I could get my hands on. I always get these stacks books and keep them next to my bed <laughs> and work my way through them. And, um, and at the same time, I, I saw a catalog that had a set of tuning forks for healing in it. And so I bought them and I started introducing them into my massage practice. And, um, and I did it as a hobby for about 10 years. Um, it was intriguing. Um, but, you know, for me, I'm a very logical, rational, grounded person, and I'm an extremely skeptical person. And I had an image problem with the tuning forks. You know, I would tell people that I was doing sound healing, you know, back in the 90s, like everybody knows about sound healing now, you know? Yeah. Had some like a, a gong or a bowl or, you know, it's touched people's lives now. But in 96, in Connecticut, you know, one thing if I'd been in California, <laughs> um, it was, you know, it was uncomfortable for me. Uh, the, the skepticism, the derision, the unkindness that I met with from people, um, you know, really skeptical, scoffing, arrogant, you know, kind of stuff. And, and that was hard to take because I really didn't want to be seen as some airy fairy new age healer, you know, that just wasn't, it's not my jam. Um, so, but, but it was intriguing and people enjoyed it and people asked for it and it was producing outcomes. 
Um, but I still had no desire for it to be my vocation. Um, I went from the restaurant business. I owned a very busy restaurant uh, in Connecticut. And then I moved up to Vermont and I started a specialty food business. Food was sort of my creative outlet. Um, <clears throat> but then one day in 2005 or 2006, I had something happen in a session that really changed everything and really kind of changed the whole direction of my life. And that was is that up to that point, I'd only been using the fork sort of on and right over people's bodies. And I made all these discoveries that I could actually move energy around with a team fork. The team fork acted like a magnet and I could like, if somebody had pain in a shoulder, I'd find there was too much energy there and I could actually like move the energy to the midline with the tuning fork, like an, a magnet moving iron filings. And then they would be like, wow, I have no pain. Um, and I also discovered that the tuning fork, you know, you think with something like a tuning fork that it's going to be an input. You're going to activate it. Like if this is C, I'm, I'm going to activate it. It's going to sound like C. I'm going to wave it over somebody. It's going to keep sounding like C. But that's not what happens. Um, the body actually gives off vibes, which we all know. You know, you ask somebody you ever got a bad vibe from somebody, everyone will be able to resonate with that question. And so there's already this knowing that our bodies give off vibes and then our bodies pick up vibes that we sense them. And so what the tuning forks actually do is they, <clears throat> the waveforms produced by them intersect with the waves being produced from the body. And it's very low amplitude and very high frequency, but that information precipitates down through the octaves into the hearing range. And so, you know, I, certain places it would go sharp, certain places it would go flat, other places it goes sort of fuzzy and full of static. Some places it would get very loud. Some places the sound would disappear completely and immediately. And, you know, this was very intriguing. And what I found over many years of doing this was there's a whole language here of vibes. And uh, the tuning forks act kind of like an invisible ink decoder. And they reveal the sonic terrain that's around the body. Um, they will initially resonate with whatever distortion is present, you know, something in your body that's not flowing right, not rhythmically correct. Um, and that's how we use them sort of diagnostically to find where things are off. But then the amazing thing about the human body is that if it hears itself, it will spontaneously auto-tune. When, when presented with its own noise, when reflected, it's kind of like looking in the mirror and going, wow, I got spinach in my teeth. Like, how long has that been there? You know, you didn't know it was there until you had the reflection. And then the mirror allows you to fix the problem. So the sound does the same thing. It mirrors back to the body where the body is sharp, where it's flat, where it's out of tune. And the body uses that input to tune itself. And usually there's some kind of tension that is associated in the body with that distortion. You know how if you're hearing a loud noise, it makes you tense up. It's the yeah. same way in your own body. If you have this internal noise, uh, if your adrenals are running really hard and fast, you know, there's, there's going to be tension around that. And so what it does is it relaxes the tension and it allows space to open up inside. It allows breath to flow and energy to flow. And so, you know, I discovered all this right off the bat, but then um, in 2006, I discovered what I call a loud spot about three feet away from somebody. And when I adjusted that loud spot, when I brought it back to the midline, this person experienced a dramatic recovery from a, a, a particular discomfort that she had had that nobody had been able to fix. 
And so that was terrifically intriguing. And I started exploring what we now call the biofield, although at the time I had no idea what it was. It was just the atmosphere around the body um, from about six feet away. That was as far as my room would allow. And, uh, and I started discovering all kinds of phenomena off the body. And then my therapeutic outcomes became consistently dramatic. And I realized that I was onto something, you know, I'm like, everybody's looking for solutions for their suffering. And what could be simpler than lying down and having a tuning fork <laughs> waved over you. And so I felt kind of like a moral obligation to bring it out into the world. But honestly, you know, I was pretty crushed by, I mean, it even goes on now, you know, the troll kind of mentality um, of the mainstream mind that's been conditioned that there's no such thing as an energy field, you know, that this is all nonsense and that, you know, you people who believe in this sort of thing are clearly delusional. And I realized that I really needed to have some science behind it. So I went to college as an adult. Luckily, there was college five minutes down the road from where I lived in Vermont. And I wrote, I ended up writing a master's thesis uh, called Exploring the Effects of Audible Sound on the Human Body and Its Biofield. And then that became um, my book. And, you know, and then it's it's grown from there. And at this point, we've actually trained thousands of people worldwide. We have hundreds of practitioners worldwide. We've got um, more than a dozen teachers teaching the method. So it's really, you know, it's really grown a lot in the last five years, sort of taken on a mind of its own. <laughs> yeah, it's so incredible. And I... The book is so detailed, which I love, um, and goes into a lot of depth. It's not just, I don't feel it's a cursory look. I feel like you really took your knowledge of, of many years and just willingly laid it out for us to read and take in. And um, of course, like I was reading some of it to my husband too. I'm like, listen to this part and listen to this part. And he's like, wow, that's really technical. But I feel like this information, like for people that, you know, um, do body work or do energy work or have an interest in that, there is so much in what you write that will resonate. Like I always say, sometimes like the mind doesn't totally understand it yet, but you understand it, right? Like your consciousness, your beingness is like eating it up and taking it in and going, oh, right, right. And it really does cause like a perspective shift on so many things. And I think your approach is so, um, it, it's it's so easy to step into your work. It's so easy to like uh, read stuff um, because you present it in such a way that, you know, this is what I've discovered and this is the journey. And your interest in researching is so fascinating along with all the practical application and the people that you've helped. And I feel that it's, um, a really important book to read for people on the journey. So like my tribe that's been here for over two years since we've had this show, I just highly recommend it as a really complete guide to understanding our human energy, right? And how healing occurs. And one of the parts that I thought was really interesting, because we've talked about this in different ways on the show, but talking about when you started doing the work off the body and talking about the rings and basically the experiences and traumas and things that are stored outside of our body from our lifetime. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the biofield anatomy hypothesis is sort of 
the sum total of my, you know, many, many thousands of hours in a very, very quiet room in the middle of nowhere in the mountains of Vermont, listening very deeply to people's fields. And, um, and what happened was this pattern emerged that really surprised me. I was, you know, I didn't, I didn't go looking for this. This was a very much a blind fumble in the dark, you know, with momentary flashes of illumination when I would see suddenly how this fit there and that, and, you know, this whole sort of um, anatomy and physiology of the biomagnetic field. And really came to the conclusion that what we call mind, what we call soul, what we call memory um, is all, you know, it's not stored in the fat of your brain. You know, when do we ever see fat storing information? You know, we, we don't. <laughs> and, um, but we do see information in standing waves and standing waves can hold huge amounts of complex information. And so I, what I hypothesize is that the human biofield is a toroidal structure which is basically a bubble with spiral down the middle. And this is a pattern we see repeated over and over again in nature. Um, so, you know, our, our aura isn't just some kind of diffuse thing. It's actually a bounded bubble structure. And what I found was the information that I found at the very outer edge where there's like feels to be a, a, a electrical membrane there, a, a kind of edge, if you will, of the bubble, um, that that contained gestation and birth information, memories from then, and then inside was was birth and then childhood. And it's sort of like reading someone's field with a tuning fork. If you start, you know, at the outer edge, it's sort of like dropping a needle on an album, and and reading the the vibrational tonal record of a person's life, and it's all encoded vibrationally you know we become so literate and we want to put words on everything but really everything that you experience is kind of an electromagnetic experience going on in your body emotions you know pain um pleasure all of that is is really vibrational information and uh so if somebody is 60 years old and i'm combing through their field i'm gonna find memories from when they were 30 halfway through their field and so if somebody had a very traumatic experience, the tuning forks are going to get kind of stuck there. There's a feeling that you're encountering resistance or charge or mass even. It feels like it has mass because the fork kind of gets stuck there in a magnetic binding sort of way. Um, and, and all of the complex emotions and feelings that you went through, you hear those. And what's wild is that you know, I was able to figure out that different emotions had different emotional signatures. They sounded different, like sadness, when you hear it, when you're in a pocket of a sad memory in somebody's field and the fork is resonating with that, it sounds sad. Like you resonate, you're like, whoa, that feels and sounds sad, right? And then I look at where it is in the biofield anatomy map. I'm like, okay, this is in the zone off the left shoulder where sadness gets written, you know, held in these standing waves. And this is, you know, if you're 50, we're right around 15, you know, what does that make you think of? And they'll be like, oh my God, that's when my dog died. I'd had, him, you know, <laughs> and then, and then you find that there's trapped emotion there. And really the biggest thing that we work with is really finding trapped emotions because we've really been taught in our culture to suppress emotions. There's very few places where we're given permission 
to really express, right? Lady Gaga, like singing her heart out on a piano, being raw emotionally. Everyone's like, yay, you know? Yeah. But if you're a kid and you're having a meltdown, your parents are like, no, you know? And, and so most of us get conditioned that our, our emotions aren't okay. You know, there's something to be ashamed of. There's something to hide. There's something to suppress. And capitalism gives us no end of opportunities for suppressing, whether it's food or drugs or Netflix or, you know, the desire for shiny things, whatever it is, there are many other things that we do rather than sit with emotions, allow emotions to flow through us, find healthy ways to express them. And so the vast majority of disorders that I treat have an emotional root. Absolutely. yeah, you know, it's just a really key part. And it's sort of the elephant in the room in Western medicine, it right? It is, it is. We, I, I talk about it so much on the show. I talk about it in my book. I really feel like it needs to be normalized and understood. It would change our society yeah. um, and the way that we live. But that emotional component, you know, I always say it's the things, the emotions we don't know that we haven't felt that are running our life. Like Absolutely. And it's, it's just, it's so incredible. Like, I love your methodology of, of this tool where we can actually hear the difference. Yeah. Like you can feel the resistance when you're coming up on it and hear the difference in the field. And I love how you share of your discovery process of this. Like you're not somebody that said, oh gosh, like, I think it's going to be like this. You're a person that just naturally picked up, you know, was doing some body work, picked up these tools and, and really allowed yourself to be informed by the work and by talking to the people that you were working on and saying, oh gosh, you know, what happened? What might've happened when you're 15? And then having that affirmation of someone say, yes, I was yeah. sad at that age. And this is what happened. And like anything in life, when you have those experiences, I mean, people, how we talk about in the regular Western medical model, you know, some of these things might not be believed to be scientific or accurate or measurable. Um, but when you're having an experience day in and day out and watching, you know, pain go away and people have, you know, these symptoms that are dissolving and they're acknowledging that what you are experiencing in their field is true for them as well. Like, you know, I mean, there's no way to deny it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I started teaching students and they started having the same experiences, you know, working with the map in the beginning with my very first group of students who, who were clients and friends that, basically bullied me into teaching. <laughs> I was working on my master's degree and I was like, no, I have to get my master's in education before I teach. And they were like, no, you're teaching us now. And so I wasn't sure, you know, if I could teach people to do it. Um, but they learned, they learned quickly. And then they went out <clears throat> and had the same experiences. And But I was reluctant to teach them the map because I was like, this is one person's subjective experience. Like there is no way that I feel confident taking this model that I've created and like teaching it to people when, you know, like I'd like a little verification, please, that it's not just me perceiving this. But then they started working with the map and and being able to find, you know, oh, what happened to you when you were two? There's something big here in this right arm. Oh, I broke my arm when I was two, you know? And it's showing up in the field. And so they were able to find with the same ease as me, you know, these difficult time periods, these these pathological, these heavy uh, stuck zones in the field. And they were able to release them. And then people, you know, said the same thing they did when I worked on them. I feel lighter, I feel better, I feel clearer, I feel freer. Um, 
And, you know, and now at this point with thousands of people doing this work, I'm working with the map. Um, this is a hypothesis that's been tested hundreds of thousands of times, you know, <laughs> yeah. and with the same outcome over and over. So sometimes people are like, well, do you have any, you know, do you have any data? And because I've been so busy teaching people because there's been such a demand for classes and we've had to add all these classes and not all these teachers, I haven't had the luxury of doing any kind of like efficacy study, but I also haven't felt the need because it's, we see it, we just see it over and over and over again. And unfortunately the mindset that says, you know, one study carries more weight than the experiences of thousands of people that are consistent um, it's kind of silly, you it know, makes like, yeah, it, it makes me crazy. It makes me crazy. But no, you can't say that when you have that much data and it's all saying the same thing. You know, the, I have, I have clinical people out there doing work in clinics and they're all having the same experience. So there's value in that. Well, you mentioned, I smiled when you uh, mentioned in the book about Evan Alexander, who um, had a near death experience and wrote, you know, a very popular book about that, um, who didn't believe in that experience. And it always, his story always kind of reminds me, and I say this often, like, once you have an experience, you don't need science, right? Like you, he knows the experience he had, therefore his entire perception of what reality is or what is possible shifted in the moment that he had the experience. So yeah. the people that received, you know, a, a, a treatment from you and then something that they, pain that they had for 20 years is now gone. That person, like, do we care about the science of that? It's like, I had a, you know, actual physical change go on in my body. I'm pretty clear, like, this is valid and worked for me at least, at the very least, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. And even skeptical people, you know, it's like people don't have to believe in it nope. uh, in order to, to benefit. It's, it's not some kind of placebo thing because we do this very successfully with animals. You know, when you, you can work on a dog and they do exactly the right thing, you know, you find an area, oh, yep, they, you know, they were a shelter dog and they had all this trauma there and you're in it and the dog will start panting. You know, and what we want people to do is to breathe when they're in those places. The dog does it automatically. The dog will pant will work, and as you work through it and then take some deep breaths afterwards. And then when you're done with the dog, they'll get up and they'll go get water. <laughs> like, and that's what, you know, we so have to help people do. So we've, we've done work with horses very successfully, cats, dogs, um, with, and they have the exact same response and outcome that humans do. So you, you can't say that it's, you know, because right. even it, it's happening when an Will animal- you share the part in the book where you talk about um, going to the University of Colorado in the lab and there were two different plants? Yeah. That was fascinating. Yeah, that was a really cool thing. And that actually kind of opened up this awareness to me. So the way that that was is maybe some people are, are, um, are familiar with Cleve Baxter's work. He wrote a book called The Secret Life of Plants. And he's known for hooking plants up to a polygraph machine. Is that what they're called? Where you, their lie detector. Yeah. Uh, and, and so he started doing that because he wanted to just kind of read what the plants would do. And so in one <clears throat> sort of famous part, he simply had the intention, the thought of burning a plant with a match and, and it's little graph went bonkers. It was like, ah, like, don't do that. Like the plant sensed his vibe and responded with an appropriate, you know, like the kind of vibe you would expect. And so, you know, that kind of, well, what? The plant's reading his mind, right? So, at the, and this guy was continuing that work. 
and he had two plants. He had one that was like this Amazonian medicine plant and then another like little bamboo plant. And, uh, and so I worked on the, the Amazonian plant. It was really responsive and it, it relaxed. He's like, the needle's going down. That means it's relaxing. But what was really wild was at the end, I kind of, I felt like I was done. You know, there's a certain sound and feeling you get when you've completed an adjustment. And, and I finished, but then I kind of went back with another strike to do a little bit more. And the plant immediately started to stress. It was almost like, what? I thought we were done. Like, you know, I like don't do anymore. And then the other plant, this bamboo, um, when I approached it, I heard the vibration of fear, of fear. And I was like, that's the same fear that people, it's like a pulsing. It's like Jaws soundtrack. It's like, do, 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 do. You know, and when you get really scared, that waveform becomes big. It animates your body into a shake. Um, but on a very low level, you know, what you hear in the field is do, 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 do. And so I was like, wow, I was like, this plant is afraid of me. Like, I think it was really tired of being stuck with pins and pro, you know, I just didn't get it like the amp, like the healing plant did. And, um, and he said, Eileen, that's so funny you're saying that because I had this really good psychic in here last week. She works for the Colorado police department and she told me that plant was afraid. And so I was like, oh my God, there's a universal vibrational language that not only does your dog understand your vibes, but your house plants do too. Because we all speak the same language at the level of vibration. It's so amazing. I mean, yeah. that just, when you think on along those lines, which is why I wanted you to share that story, it really expands your perception. Like that there is this common universal vibrational language that's going on. And I always say, I talk about on the show, like words fail. Like we, you know, we're so caught up in this three-dimensional reality and words and all of this kind of stuff, which carries its own energy. But there's just another conversation going on that we can start listening to That's and attuning right. to that I feel like is so, um, it's authentic, right? Yeah, vibes, vibes don't lie. Right. Don't lie. Right. It's so incredible. And the beginning of the book, like, I mean, you go a lot into the different areas of um, the different chakras and the different areas um, and how you witnessed, I'll say you witnessed um different chakras and when there was uh, like kind of dissonant energy in those different areas, what that related to, do you still feel like there are pretty, um, now that, you know, you're training practitioners and you have other people doing this work, that there are areas that really relate to certain aspects of life or certain emotional states about certain aspects of life? Oh yeah. I mean, the biofield anatomy as it was originally laid down pretty much stands you know if anything i've elaborated on it because um you know in that book i just cover feet knees seven major energy centers um but then in research since then uh, i've explored the field in the area of the shins and the thighs and the sort of half steps between the energy centers and those are that's a whole other world of our our mind right but you know things like for example people who have right hip issues almost without exception what I what is going on in the mind underneath, right? The body, because in this model, your body is inside your mind, rather yes. than the other way around. Yes. And so, anything that goes out of balance in your mind is going to, over time, especially by the time you're sixty, it's going to start to pull your body out of balance. And you know, most people, when they get to be about sixty, their essential vitality declines. These 
this is where your biography becomes your biology and all of these places that your field is out of whack, the body starts to break down in those places because if the field is flowing and um, whole and um, in integrity, then that is what maintains a healthy body. So for example, people who tend to overthink and overdo tend to run a lot of energy in their field off of their right hip. They're thinking about the future. They're going, 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 you know, they're not resting in the now. And so, you know, the, over time, the physiology of the right hip is going to start to break down because the energy that is supposed to be running through it, giving it order, structure, and function isn't there. It's, you know, 10 inches off the right hip. It's 12 inches off the right hip. It's in an imbalance. And so, you know, the other one I see a lot of is the left shoulder. Uh, left shoulder is sadness, grief, it's loss. Many people who, you know, experience like multiple deaths quickly or somebody very close to them very often end up with left shoulder pain. And, you know, you go and get your MRI and your this and your PT. It's psychosomatic. It's in your field. It's heavy. And, but it's not physiological yet. In time, you know, you're going to have a weakness there where you might get an injury or things might start to break down. But what's going on is that your field is really heavy off your left shoulder and it's weighing on that part of your body. And we can, we can shift that in a session, you know, three times very often that kind of quote psychosomatic pain that is a consequence of the heavy imbalance in the field um, is something that you just move that pattern and flow with the tuning fork. You get it back into its, its correct anatomical distribution, and then the physiology resolves itself. Yes, just so incredible. And what, like, because in another modality, um, I understand it the same way as you talk about uh, showing the body like a mirror of what's going on, and then the body adjusts itself. Mm-hmm. What is your opinion on, just out of curiosity, like, why isn't the body seeing that it's out by itself? Like why does holding up a mirror then have the body go, oh yes, like this is out of discord or alignment. And now, you know, we know what to do to put it back into alignment. Well, part of it is the input, you know, like people used to get scurvy, right? And you were like, oh, no, something's wrong with my body here. But the body didn't have the information or the input to correct it. So, you know, all of a sudden you get uh, some vitamin C in the equation and the body's like, yes, that's what I needed to fix things. So it's the same thing with coherent sound because it's simultaneously a reflection and it's like a metronome. And so that 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 coherent input that the tuning fork is presenting to the body gives it a reflection and something to tune itself against. Yes, to align to. Yes. Got it. So cool. It's so amazing. And you talk about like at the beginning of the book, um, and I so appreciate it. You, you brought it up a little bit, but I appreciated when you were talking about um, your talk with your son where he was saying like, well, what do you do, you know, mom? And what, how should I explain what you do? And there were all these different words that you had tried out and that so much of society, you know, was like, what, what? And then you came up with researcher and apparently that would be accepted um, by other people. And so where do you feel like, do you feel like the conversation is changing about the acceptance of this? Like from your vantage point, maybe since you started the work, since you wrote your last book um, and how fast do you think the conversation is changing such that 
most people are accepting um, us as, as energetic beings. Yeah. Well, I think that I really noticed a change right around 2012, honestly. Like after 2012, it didn't feel like such an uphill battle. It didn't feel like such a... Um, but also what changed for me was after 2012, I had actually written a master's thesis, you know, and I had, I had done like my 10,000 hours, you know, so I, and I trained people. So I had a new level of confidence in my understanding of what was going on, the language to use to talk about it. Um, the, the proof that I'd seen, cause you know, I'll be honest, I was skeptical about this work for 15 years. For 15 years, I was like, this is really weird. Am I imagining this? Is this really helping people? And, you know, like, I didn't understand it. I, it just seemed really weird to me. And it took it took a lot of evidence for me to stop being skeptical. A lot of evidence. And I think, you know, that all kind of came together all at once. And so when I was talking to people about it, um, there was more confidence in my voice. Um, you know, I just, I, I was more of an authority at that point. Um, you know, you can't write a master's thesis on anything, you know, not become an authority on it. There's a real immersion for me. Sure. It's amazing. One of the titles that you called your inner truth or your inner title um, is cosmological storyteller. Yeah. Is that something that still feels true for you and where you talk about it in the book, but maybe you want to define what that is? Well, first. yeah. I mean, I think for me, the big aha in all of this was discovering our electric bodies and really reframing my my outlook on life which i had been taught to think of life in terms of solid liquid and gas and the body as chemical and mechanical and that i had also been informed as we all are by our rather grim cosmological story um, which is full of black holes that devour light and dark energy and dark matter that we don't understand and can't find, but we're sure that they're there. And, um, and that, that, you know, everything started with an explosion and it's just an entropy and it's spreading out and it's, it's all pointless and chaotic and random and cold and dark and light and life sucking. Like our whole cosmological story is a bummer. It's just a downer. And we don't ever question it or examine it. You know, we don't ever step back and go, wow, you know, this is a world of cold, dark, separate, scary, incomprehensible shit. And, and I'm not digging it. And that's how most people feel. Most people feel separate. They feel powerless. They feel disconnected. Um, and through this, my explorations and trying to understand the phenomena I was encountering working in the biofield i'm like what is this stuff i'm hitting in the field what what is it you know is it free electrons is it ions is it magnetic monopoles is it chi is it what the heck is it <laughs> i just it's stuff and trying to answer that question um led me to plasma the fourth state of matter and the idea that um that there's actually two entirely more states of matter than what we're told about you know, there's plasma and there's ether. And those are states of matter of light and connection. And that, you know, the same electricity that powers the sun, that powers the stars, that makes lightning that's in my environment is the same electricity powering my body. And it's all one light. And it's all connected. And that discovery of two more states of matter of light and connection suddenly took all that background angst that I'd been feeling, all that existential discomfort, 
and it erased it because I was like, here is the scientific answer to all is one. Here is the scientific answer to my light body, my inner luminescence. If you've ever had an experience of seeing the light within, you know, before plasma and our electric bodies and our electric health, you'd be like, what, am I Jesus? Do I have to become a born again Christian? You know, we only had religion as a place to frame that kind of experience. And if you were raised in a secular environment, like many of us were, I was raised in a religion-free home, like there was this real need for me to have a science of all is one. Because it, you know, it didn't fit that I'd go to yoga class and be like, oh, all is one. And I read all these spiritual texts and all is one. But then my science is telling me something completely different. My science is telling me that there's smallest units of matter and that everything is separate and dark and entropic. And, you know, and then I discovered two more forces of nature that were not taught about, which is syntropy, which is the opposite of entropy. You know, entropy is like, it's all going down. It's all falling apart. (laughs) (laughs) Syntropy is it's all coming up and it's all coming together. You knew, and both exist, right? But we're not taught about syntropy. I mean, science calls it negative entropy. The fact that I can grow a baby in my belly, like that amazing thing, that act of creation is negative entropy. Like wow. what? <laughs> like I wouldn't even use the word. I was like, I refuse to use that word. That's just wrong. So, and then there's levity too. So, you know, we're all like gravity. Oh man, it's pulling me down. You know? <laughs> <laughs> But but levity is the opposite. You know, sound has levity. And that's why when you put on a really good jam, you run around cleaning your house, like boom, 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 because that sound is giving you levity, right? So two more states of matter, two more forces of nature. Wow. Like <laughs> when you in, include that into your cosmological worldview, you suddenly have resources to solve problems that you did not have before. It's so true. And it's so powerful. And I think before we go and ask you the four questions that we ask all the guests, I want to make sure um, everybody can find this book and information. And also, I know you have practitioner trainings and you also have, you know, if you want to find a practitioner because you want to try this yourself, the book is titled Tuning the Human Biofield. I highly recommend it. I really enjoyed reading this book and I felt like for, for anybody who's even starting a conversation about energy or a very seasoned practitioner in the healing arts, everybody will get many things from this book, not just something, many things. Um, your website for Biofield Tuning is biofieldtuning.com. Is there anything in particular we should know about when we go to the website, if we want to find a practitioner or do a training? Well, you know, it's all there. There's a learn um, the method, you know, experience it. Um, there's a, there's a store, we sell our own uh, tuning fork and, you know, various sound uh, therapy accessories. So you can check all that out. Um, I, there's also archived sessions of um, group healing sessions that I've done. Uh, we've got some in video, we've got some in audio. Uh, so those are there, you know, if you don't, if you don't want to drop the money on seeing a practitioner, you can try one of these recordings. And, you know, people claim that they get a lot of benefit from listening to me conduct a session on a group at a distance. So, um, so those are also an option to explore. Wonderful. Amazing. So many different tools. Um, if you feel called to this, listen to it, right? I always say on the show, like, listen to what calls you forward. Um, but it has my highest recommendation. So I hope you guys enjoy. And we will go ahead and ask you the four questions we ask all of our guests. 
Um, it's based on a process I take people through called the anatomy of transformation. And the first uh, kind of step in that is truth. It's our own personal truth and taking a look at the things that we believe to be true in our perspective. So what is a truth that maybe you've come across recently or in your past um, that felt really profound for you and was maybe a catalyst in your work or in your personal life? I think the greatest truth that I've come across that was really shocking to me is that everyone has the codes of perfection, harmony, and greatness in them. Everyone. And, and that blew my mind in the beginning, because what I was finding was that, you know, as I'm basically tuning up people's instruments, I'm finding that they have this opportunity to go beautifully, amazingly, like jaw droppingly into tune. And that when we get the noise out of the signal and we bring up this true tone, it's so beautiful. And and it's what I could only describe as great, that everyone has in them this inherent greatness. And that what gets in the way of us owning it and living it is that we don't feel worthy of it, that nobody has ever seen it and reflected it back to us. Like every time I would, I would dig up and, and, and bring to light someone's beauty and gifts and amazingness. And I'd say, wow, look at you. You're so amazing in this way. Listen to how beautiful your heart sounds like you have this gift and da, da, da. They kind of look at me shyly and be like, I knew that. <laughs> right? we, all, we all know that our call to greatness, everybody's got it. And, and I just really want to tell you, and what's funny about this is it's really hard to see, like, cause, because I would, you know, it took me years of seeing this greatness in other people before it finally dawned on me that I must be great too. Hmm. That's how obscured our own greatness has become that I, it took me seeing it. in I don't know how many people before I had this aha moment of like, oh. <laughs> you know, cause we've been so guilted. We've been so shamed. I mean, this whole climate fucking shaming, sorry, my language that is going on right now is, is, you know, there's, if you want to make someone feel powerless, make them feel guilty. And, and that is what has been done to humanity is that we've become so guilty and ashamed about our essential humanness um, that we've shut down to our amazing, the, the amazingness of being human. So, you know, I, I would just say that that was a wonderful thing to discover, you know, to see in other people and then to give them permission to be that. And then to give me permission in myself, you know, that's like, I always come back to that Marianne Williamson quote, like, who am I to be blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah. it's not, it's not yeah. our that we fear it's our, it's being bright and shiny because so often as a child, when you're bright and shiny, somebody throws mud on you. And that happens to us over and over again. And we just diminish ourselves. We, we fold up into little tiny boxes. You know, we're all like little peonies that are shut closed. And we're just waiting for that opportunity to explode into our magnificence. Everybody's got it. Everybody. Everybody. So powerful. I love that. And this the second pillar is release. So what is something or a couple things that you've released as you have discovered like this greatness. I know you shared that, you know, it took you a while to discover it within yourself as you're seeing it outside you and all of these different people. Um, what do you feel like kind of fell away as you really stepped into that truth? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is poverty consciousness. Um, and that's another kind of consequence of feeling disconnected, small, powerless, guilty, 
Um, you know, all of those things, plus many mind viruses that especially, quote, spiritual people have been inoculated with or infected with, um, you know, that that uh, power is bad, that money is bad, um, that, you know, that you don't want to go there. Right? We have all these bad vibes around money. And the unfortunate thing is, is that, you know, there's so many good people in the world that want to do good things. And gosh, if they had the money and the means to do it, like wouldn't incredible things be happening? But unfortunately that mindset often goes hands in hand with poverty consciousness. And part of waking up to the electric universe and recognizing that my electric body was in an electric environment and electrically connected to everything around me made me the entire universe. Like there's, the life itself is riotously abundant and nature is riotously abundant and we are part of life and part of nature. So by rights, we should have that feeling, right? Cause it's really just a feeling. It's a feeling of connections and abundance. It has nothing to do with what's in your bank account. And there isn't a certain amount of money that gets in your bank account where you suddenly pop into that feeling. <laughs> no, the, feel, the feeling creates the money in the bank. You know, it's like the yeah. feeling comes first. That's right. The feeling comes first. And so that's what happened for me is that as I felt more and more abundant through this sort of blissful connection to all that is that my science mind was happy with, um, that, that my life became more abundant. My connections became more abundant. You know, I've been able to grow an organization, um, and I've been able to do good things. You know, now that I'm more abundant, I can, I go to Jamaica, we buy laptops for kids there. You know, we help out there and do volunteer work. Um, uh, I'm able to support artists, right? There's there's so many wonderful things. I'm able to pay my employees really well and help bring abundance to the people around me. Um, and so, you know, I think it was such a relief to step out of that poverty consciousness, that separation, that lack, that story. Um, also, you know, the other part of that is really minding your words, what you're thinking and what you're speaking, because the word is creative. And that's another thing that I stepped out of. I stopped saying I'm broke. I stopped saying I'm fat. I stopped saying, you know, I'm in a struggle. I, I stopped giving voice to those things. And I started speaking what I wanted instead of what I had. Yes. And there's a lag time there, you know, that sometimes people give up. But if you keep at it, you get through that lag time and then your reality becomes different. It's so true. That is such a powerful message. I'm so glad you shared that. Words create, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, what are we creating? We're always creating. I always say we're always manifesting. It's awesome. just, what are we manifesting with our words and thoughts and feelings about those words and thoughts? Okay. Um, so really powerful. So the third step is experience. Like, how did your life experience change? Like how did your everyday change? How did you move through the world differently when this poverty consciousness was no longer something that was resonating for you? Well, I spent a lot more time on planes, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> You're moving differently. I mean, I think for me, I've always wanted freedom. That's always been my goal was to experience the highest degree of freedom possible. Um, you know, be free from from debt, be free from pain, be free from unresolved, blah, 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 you know, um, be free to go where I want, to do what I want, 
Um, and I, and I have, you know, largely created a life where I can do that. In fact, I've just, I'm just at this interesting juncture where, um, my business has reached a place where, uh, I have enough people in place and enough systems in place that it kind of doesn't need me. And my youngest son is moving out as of January 1st. And so, you know, last 23 years, I've been really focused on the forks and, and, you know, going places with that. And then my kids simultaneously, and now neither one of them needs me anymore. So, <laughs> so that's a, you know, a whole new level of freedom um, of a blank canvas, which is pretty cool. Which is so exciting. I always yeah. say for a lot of people, a blank canvas like can be computed as fear. Like, what is it going to be? Or what, you know, I mean, what is my life now? And I always say a blank canvas is infinite possibility. Like, yeah. what do I get to create, right? In this space that I have, that the universe, you know, and life has provided me, like imagine what's possible, right? As yeah. we have more freedom and more space, which is so extraordinary. The last pillar is a line, which is, I think kind of, the glue that holds us in a higher frequency, the glue that has our life continue to return to that oneness and what is important to us and what's valuable to us as individuals and authentic for us. And so when I say, what is it that keeps you feeling good, that keeps you feeling in alignment, whether it's rituals or practices or people that you're around or things that you do, what is that for you? Well, it's two things. Um, the first thing is gratitude. You know, that, that's my go-to. Uh, is gratitude. And, and I just give thanks. Like there's a, there's a saying about saying thank you 10,000 times a day. And, and I definitely aspire to that, uh, to just be grateful, 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 you know, everywhere. And that um, it's so simple, you know, it's such simple medicine and, and there's been all kinds of studies done. Uh, one of my good friends, Paul Mills has done a number of studies on gratitude and like how profoundly it shifts people's states. Um, and it's so simple. And then the other thing is, is that, you know, helping other people to feel better, helping people other giving, turning around, giving somebody a hand up, you know, whether it's helping them get out of pain, overcome self-limiting beliefs, um, you know, heal a relationship. Like at the end of the day, uh, as a practitioner, you know, that was so rewarding. And then as a teacher, uh, it also has been because what I've seen, you know, as students go through the levels of training and biofield tuning, and I, I'm actually retired from the certification program now, I only teach advanced modules. Um, but for a long time, you know, I'd watch people go through the different levels of classes and I would watch them become more free, more empowered. Uh, we just had this new group of students uh, who became teachers and Boy, when I saw them at their second training module, they were all so bright and shiny and alive and playful and fun. Because that's what happens. As you become more free, you become more playful and you laugh more and life just becomes lighter. You know, even though we're going through, you know, the sixth mass extinction and life seems really crazy, that doesn't mean that we can't play and laugh and have fun. You know, we don't need to... If you're just being a downer and despairing, you're not helping, you know? <laughs> like, yes. You need good vibes in the world. And so, you know, helping to, to bring people into, into the freedom that I have found um, has been just immensely rewarding. And then, and then having them be able to turn around and do the same thing for other people, you know, it's huge. It feels really good. <laughs> I love that. Such a beautiful answer. It's so true. Being able, getting to the point where you're able to hand it over to other people and have that freedom, watch that freedom expand in them. I mean, 
I just think there's no better feeling than that. Like, and then of course, watching it, your work expand out into the world in ways that just one person could never do, but you have, you know, created this and basically shared it with people. And that's what I've really felt about your book is you really wanted to share everything with us as the reader. Like, let me just open this world to you and open this door to you and just give you what I have, right? Like what I've learned and what I've, um, what I've discovered. And I just felt like maybe it's a energetic undercurrent of the book, like a real desire to share, not just a desire to write a book, but to share from the heart. And that's what I took from the book. And I just felt it all the way through. And I felt like um, it really touched my heart. So thank you so much for your work. And thank you for coming on the show and hanging out with us and sharing your beautiful gifts. Great. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to talk with you. I'm Shauna Lee, and you've been listening to the Soul Frequency Show podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Soul Frequency. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. Join me next week for more powerful awakenings and positive vibes. Mm -hmm.